And um, it's my honor this morning to actually hand off the microphone to the wonderful Barbosa family that's going to come join us. Good to see you, church. Peace the Lord. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Good morning, guys. May God bless you all. We're here in this beautiful morning with our family here. My family is not just the ones over there, but all of you, you guys are all part of my family. Thank you so much, Pastor Tim and Sister Samantha. A big hug to all the members of the Life Covenant Church. I'll give you three verses so that you may meditate on them and know how we feel about this church. In Filipenses, no capítulo 1, verso 3. Apenas três versículos que dizem assim, dou graças ao meu Deus todas as vezes que me lembro de vós. Em Filipenses, capítulo 1, versículo 3, diz, I thank my God every time I remember you. Fazendo sempre em todas as minhas orações e súplica por todos vós. Em todas as minhas orações por todos vós, eu sempre oro com joia. Com alegria pela vossa cooperação no Evangelho desde o primeiro dia até agora. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Muito obrigado, igreja. Muito obrigado pelo suporte. Obrigado pelas orações. Nós conquistamos uma grande vitória e é por isso que nós estamos aqui em família. Thank you so much, church. Thank you for the prayers. Thank you for the support. We've been very blessed and that's why we're here today. A igreja orou e Deus atendeu a nossa oração e a nossa documentação foi aprovada. The church has prayed and God heard the prayers and our documentation has been approved. Yes. Glória a Deus. Sem as orações e o suporte de vocês nós não teríamos chegado até aqui. Without your prayers and your support, we wouldn't be here. Nós somos gratos a todos vocês que oraram, que contribuíram, que ofertaram, que nos deram suporte para nós avançarmos com a obra de Deus em Huntington Beach e aqui em Torrance também. We're very grateful for all of you that prayed, that gave the support, that did whatever it took to help us get through all these situations and be here today. And the kingdom of God is going forward every single day. Thank you so much, Pastor Chin. I love you, Pastor. I love church. My church. Life is my church. God bless you. everybody. 
Thank you so much for that, Pastor Aeneas, and so glad that you and your family can be here this morning. You all are so important to us. We are so blessed to be partnered with you in the ministry that you're doing. And uh, most of you know this, but I mean, the ministry that they're doing is wonderful. Uh, planting a Brazilian church, Portuguese-speaking church in Huntington Beach, and then now here in Torrance. And, uh, and I'll, I'll tell you, I was at their first service here in Torrance, and I had to talk to like six, seven people that night, I think, that the only thing they wanted to talk to me about is when are we doing the next one? You know, and they're talking about cities up and down the coast, because apparently Brazilians only live really close to water, that's what I was told. But uh, up and down the coast where there are all these pockets of Brazilians. And when can we plant the next one? When can we plant the next one? So keep praying. God is really faithful and we're just really excited for the work that he's doing and we're very honored to be partnered with you in this ministry. So thank you guys. Thank you for being here. Uh, hey, a uh, quick reminder, uh, tomorrow our, our reading plan in the Gospel of Matthew begins. If you are wanting to get in on that, you have not yet gotten in on that, uh, check this week's email. Uh, there's a link in there that will take you to the reading plan, and uh, you can sign up for that. We'll all be reading through the Gospel of Matthew together as we go through this new series. And this new series. So uh, we're calling it American Idols, and we're just kind of asking the question, what are some of the good things in this country, some of the good gifts that we have been given, our values, our customs, our practices, that we have a tendency to make into idols, right? And an idol, says Tim Keller, is a good thing that's been made into an ultimate thing. What are some of those things as Americans, we might be more prone, unthinkingly, to make into idols. And today we are looking at the topic of freedom, right? Freedom, this is our origin story as Americans. There, there is arguably no value that is closer to our hearts as Americans than freedom, right? We declared our independence from the evil Brits. We eat hot dogs and shoot fire into the sky every July 4th to commemorate that this happened, right? It's, it's common parlance in everything that we do, right? Like think about the phrase, it's a free country. Right? Like, how many times do you hear that? How many ways can you use that? Right? It's who we are, but it's kind of everything. Right? You're in a sports bar, and you can't quite hear the game, and you say, hey, can I turn up the television? And the reply to you could very well be, it's a free country. Right? Can I park here? Hey, go ahead. It's a free country. Right? It works for everything. Can I pull off these pants? Mm, maybe not, but it's a free country. Right? Whatever it is, it's sort of in there. So. Uh, the Bible presents freedom as a good. Freedom is a good thing. We have that right. It's part of what it takes to flourish as a human being. But there's a caveat to this too. Uh, here's the thing. Not everything that we call freedom is really freedom. There are some freedoms that lead us deeper into life and deeper into joy. And there are some freedoms that actually further serve to enslave us, right? And we talked about this last week in our intro, that, that this is the thing with idols. Idols lie, and idols promise us comforts that are false, and idols ultimately oppress. Idols ultimately lead us deeper into slavery. So the question we're asking this morning as we come to the text is, is how are we to know the difference? How can we tell if the freedom that we are enjoying, if we are using that freedom in a way that honors God and leads us deeper into life with him, or conversely, if, if we are actually 
leading ourselves further away from God and deeper into the oppression that the idol brings. So here's sort of our headline for today. Really take this in. Think about it this way. True freedom is not permission to do what we want, but power to want and to do what is good. All right, let me say that again. True freedom is not permission to do what we want. It is power to want and to do what is good. And we'll tease this out a bit as we go, but it's an important distinction. Often the first part, right, uh, uh, permission to do what we want, that's often what we think of as freedom in our American context. But I would suggest to you that is actually the idol. That is the idolatrous version of freedom, and it doesn't deliver. It makes a lot of promises, but it doesn't make good on those promises. The life that you and I actually want, the, the path to flourishing, to joy, to peace, is actually found in the latter. It's in the power to want what is good and then wanting that to actually be able to do it, right? Because those are two different things, right? You've, you've got to want it, and then you also have to be able to do it. And this is the promise of Jesus, that in following him, you can become the sort of person who enjoys the abundant life that he offers. Uh, and and uh, uh, as you do so, the life you actually want is down that path. So here's where we're going. Uh, this morning, we're going to contrast those two visions of freedom and talk about some of the forces that have shaped us in the way that we conceptualize freedom as Americans, and then how we move from the first kind of freedom to the second. We'll end with a couple of practices that will, uh, will help move us along those lines too. So let's pray, and we'll look at the scriptures together. Father, it is our prayer this morning that uh, today and as we go through this series that you would be giving us eyes to see what it is that you are saying by your spirit and through your word. Uh, Lord, expose in us those, uh, those aspects of life in our culture that seem so natural that we wouldn't even question them, uh, but may not in fact honor you. And God, we pray for each of us, wherever we are at in our journey with you, that you would move us closer to Christ, that we would become more and more like your son Jesus as we follow as your apprentices. Uh, we trust you for this. We ask you to have your way with us this morning. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so friends, how can we tell? Between true freedom, the kind that honors God, and a freedom that is becoming idolatrous. First thing that we see in our scripture this morning is this. It's the true freedom serves others, not our appetites. This is Galatians 5.1. We're reading in Galatians 5 this morning. The passage starts with this. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, pause there for a moment. Because this is like an, as American a statement as you can possibly get. Yes? It is for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm. Don't let anyone talk you out of your freedom. You got this, right? This is, this is America. Mom, apple pie, baseball, right? And you've, you've got to hear the American amens behind this, right? The shouts of yes, you know, that's right. Don't let anyone control you. You are the captain of your destiny. You're the master of your soul. Give me liberty or give me death. I know he's Scottish, not American, but it still counts. Like, insert like a brave heart, shout here of freedom, right? This is the thing. This is it. 
And I would point out too, this is one of those values that is pretty universally American, right? It, it doesn't really matter who you are, pretty much everybody is into this, right? So, I mean, you can be like cowboy boots and pickup truck or California surfer. You're still all about freedom, right? Recent immigrant or your family came over on the Mayflower. You are all about freedom. You can be a MAGA Republican, you can be a liberal elite. You are all about the freedom. This is an American thing. Uh, this is a few months back. You guys may or may not remember this, but uh, last year I got called in for jury duty and uh, was downtown LA for that. And on my way out of the courthouse, found myself uh, walking back to my car through an anti-vaccine mandate rally. And one of the things that I was really struck by in that, I was walking through this crowd, I'm looking at the shirts, I'm looking at the signs, and, and the signs, they were identical to what you would see at a, a pro-choice uh, abortion rally. It's the same things, and I, I had this thought, kind of tongue in cheek, but I was like, man, I could start a side hustle where I sell shirts that say, keep your laws off my body, and I could make a killing in both places. I could sell these at both events and have a, a good little side gig going. But, but here's the thing, think about it in light of what we're talking about this morning. So you've got two very different ideologies there, one that's predominantly right, one that's predominantly left. But it's the same underlying value that animates both of those. My life is my own, nobody else, not the government, not the church, nobody else has the right to tell me what I'm going to do with my life and with my body. Freedom is the animating value under both of those. And that's sort of how in the fabric of society this is. We don't even think about it. It's just a kind of sacred right as an American. But the question, is this American vision of freedom and what that means, is that the same as the Bible's vision of freedom? And let's keep reading. We're jumping down to verse 13. Paul says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now friends, note here, inherent in the whole idea of freedom is choice. And Paul is saying, yes, you are free, and yes, this is good. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. You don't need further justification for freedom. But, he says, there is a right way and there is a wrong way to live into that freedom. And the wrong use that he points out here is this. He says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That is, to indulge our sinful nature. He says, don't use your freedom for that. That's freedom gone wrong. Freedom used to feed our sinful appetites is freedom that is headed down the path of idolatry. Now, what would a right use of freedom be? Paul says this. He says a few things here, but this is the first thing he says. He says, rather, serve one another humbly in love. And this is so interesting to me. Uh, because I would expect the contrasting statement to be something more like, you know, use your freedom to do righteous things. Use your freedom to sin less, whatever it is. But the first thing, and those do come a little later in the passage, but 
uh, the first thing, the immediate contrast that he gives here to indulging your flesh is loving your neighbor as yourself. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Friends, could it be that one of the first ways that freedom gets distorted in us, one of the first ways it moves from being a good thing to becoming an ultimate thing, is that it gets really me-centered. That freedom can devolve pretty quickly into something that is just about me and what I need and what I want. And even if our intentions start out well, sometimes as we travel down this path of freedom, other people can sort of get pushed to the periphery and be an afterthought, if not completely unimportant. Uh, let's take our example from a minute ago. So there's, there's a lot of reasons that folks choose not to be vaccinated, uh, but what is the knock against that position in general? Right, sort of the complaint back against that is, hey, it's not just about you. Yes, it's your body, but there are other bodies to consider also, other lives at stake. Others are being affected by your freedoms. And for those uh, who favor elective abortion, What's the knock there? It's the same thing. It's, hey, it's not just about you. Yes, it's your body, but now there is another body to consider. There's another life that is now part of this equation. Somebody else is being affected by your freedoms. Right? And just think about that for a moment. And I know there's complexities that go into both those and the reason that either of those choices that are made, but uh, just think about how that plays out in terms of freedom. What Paul is saying here is that Christian freedom is never just about me. Christian freedom, a freedom that honors God, is always about me and my neighbor. It's not just about indulging what I want. It's about how does this affect those around me too. It's about how is this freedom enabling me to humbly serve other people in love. And friends, maybe this is a good place just to pause and consider. Does the way I exercise my freedom, does it bring blessing to those around me? Or does it tend to only focus on me? And as Americans, as a society, do you think we're becoming better or worse at this? Better neighbors to one another? or worse, more considerate to one another, or less? That's worth thinking about. The idol says serving yourself is what will make you happy. Jesus says, actually, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Jesus says, actually, greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. True freedom, the freedom that God offers us, friends, it isn't just permission to do what we want. It's power to want what's good and to do what is good. And, and part of that involves others. True freedom serves others, not our appetites. That's number one. Uh, second thing that Paul tells us here is this. True freedom chooses the spirit over the flesh. Verse 16 
So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. So again, inherent in freedom is this element of choice. And it creates this conflict within us. Our flesh wants one thing, wants to please ourselves, and the Holy Spirit living in us wants to please God. And friends, if, if you are in a saving relationship with Jesus, then both those realities exist within you. There is still within you this, this element of flesh, uh, these sinful desires, and there is also within you God's Holy Spirit, which is promised to you. That when you place your faith in Christ, it's not just about heaven after you die, it's also about God's Spirit in you now, transforming you, making you more like Jesus. Both these realities are there. And Paul is pointing out here that these two realities are in conflict with each other. These two conflicting sets of desires are at war with each other. And as a result, he says, you are not to do whatever you want. And friends, doing whatever you want is exactly what our culture tells us we're supposed to be doing. That is precisely how we typically understand freedom in our context. Uh, and, I mean, again, this narrative is so embedded in our culture. You remember this from last week? This is John, John Mark Comer. I'm drawing on a lot of his stuff today. But this is how an idol gets its power. Deceptive ideas play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. Right? This, this false conception of freedom plays really well with what my flesh wants. And over time all of society comes around me and says, yep, that's exactly it. Do the thing that you want. That's where the good life is to be found. Now, how did this come to be the case? And I, I want to throw in some of these sort of background things each week, because for me at least, they're really helpful. Understanding, okay, how did this become the norm? There's a philosopher named Charles Taylor, and he wrote a book called A Secular Age, and I think it was in 2002. It's, it's widely considered to be one of the most important books so far of our century. And the reason why is he, he details how uh, over the last 150 years approximately in our society, we've moved from being what he calls a culture of authority to a culture of authenticity. And let me explain what's meant by each of these. Um, a culture of authority, Right? He's saying, in the past, the way that in the West and in most places that we tended to think about our lives and how we live them well, uh, was this, this culture of authority. We looked outside of ourselves to make meaning of the world. We looked to the structures around us, be that God, be that tradition, be that the Bible, be that our grandparents. But the idea was, other people have lived longer than we have. We just got here. And we don't know it all. So if we are going to live life well, we would be super wise to think about those who came before us. And what are the things that they said about living well? So, so authority was derived from outside of us. And we relied on that as the smartest way to live. Uh, you know, kind of the, the motto there would be, why make our own mistakes? There's so much accumulated wisdom. Why not rely on some of that wisdom instead of just what I have in my own little head? So... You, you take like Paul's statement here and lay it against that backdrop. 
You know, and the idea of going, wait a minute, do whatever I want? Is there any quicker way to wreck my life? Right? That's kind of the thought in, in an age of authorities. You go, no, what, who am I? I'm one person. What do I know? That's crazy. Now, that's been the prevailing thought in Western society for most of our history. But slowly, over the last 150 years, and this is due in large part to Marx and Nietzsche and Freud, they're kind of the main architects of this thinking that we don't even think about them anymore, but what they taught is now in the water. We've moved to this place where he calls it an age of authenticity, where the location of authority is no longer out there, it's in here. And being authentic, being true to myself, means I look within to decide what it is that I want, what it is that I need, and my best way to live a flourishing life is to be true to whatever I find in here. It's the age of authenticity is the way that he puts it. Now, lay that on what Paul is saying here. So, you know, we, we as good 21st century Americans, we say, okay, I want to be happy, so I'm going to be true to myself. Put it in quotes. I'm going to be true to myself. And Paul hears that, and he says, well, which self? Because you've got this dichotomy going on within you. It's not just out there. It's inside of you. There is part of you that wants to indulge the flesh. And there's part of you, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, there's a part of you that says, I also hear the voice of the Spirit, and I want to follow that. Which self is it that you are going to follow? Right? This makes sense, doesn't it? Right? We see this in little ways all the times, right? So, I mean, okay, I'd love to be able to see my abs. I'd also love to eat a pint of ice cream every night. Right? There has to be a choice. Both of those are an authentic representation of my true desires. But I have to choose one. And the scriptures tell us if, if you're wanting to choose actual freedom, true freedom, well, you have to choose spirit over flesh. There has to be a choice that happens inside of this. Right? This idea of follow your heart or you know, be true to yourself. That, that line, be true to yourself, right? This, we say this all the time. It's a paraphrase of Shakespeare from Hamlet, right? To thine own self be true. It's interesting. He wrote that in a time where we're in an age of authority. And Shakespeare puts those words on the lips of Polonius, the fool, right? That was a laugh line in Shakespeare because you hear that. Oh, well, be true to yourself. And everybody laughs and goes, oh, only an idiot would do that. What, a, what quicker way is there to ruin your life? No, you've got to look beyond yourself if you want to be true. But it's changed. That's no longer our culture. It's now the age of authenticity. Uh, John Comer puts it this way. He says, in the past, it was the responsibility of all people to restrain the desires of their flesh. Today, it's the right of all people to follow the desires of their authentic selves. And friends, it's on this path that freedom begins to get idolatrous. Now, let's keep reading. You still with me? Following this? Okay. Now, Paul unpacks an example of what each path looks like, the path of the flesh and the path of the spirit that he's encouraging us to choose. He says, when we use our freedoms to feed the flesh, this is what we can expect people and society to look like. So 
just listen to see if any of these sound familiar as we read through his list. So, uh, verse 19, perfect. The acts of the flesh are obvious, he says. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Think tender, hookup culture, multiple sex partners before marriage, which is, of course, the norm in our society, and perhaps uh, still multiple afterwards, right? Uh, he goes on, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Uh, think here, Twitter, <laughs> cancel culture, most of the news, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. Now that's our politics, as we usually practice it. It's the office gossip. It's that Facebook post that you put up where you lambasted all the other people on the other side. Envy. Okay, advertising. Pretty much every commercial ever <laughs> is appealing to this. About 90% of our Instagram posts, envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Uh, Netflix, HBO, whatever. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, but then he contrasts. He says, okay, that's, that's what it looks like when we use our freedom to indulge the flesh. When we choose the spirit, this is what we can expect people and society to look like. Verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's where the two paths lead. And Paul's asking here, which do you want more? Which one do you more want to characterize your life? Uh, which society would you rather raise your kids in? This is what the path of flesh looks like. This is what the path of spirit looks like. Uh, and I say, which do you want? But I should, I should probably say, which do you want more? Uh, because if we're honest, each of those has a certain appeal. Each of those appeals to part of us. And that's where that element of choice comes in. Ultimately, I would think this is true of most. Ultimately, the truer desire, the deeper desire is actually for that list we see under spirit. We want lives that are animated by love and joy and peace and all the rest. Right? The things on the first list, they're very fleeting, they're very temporary, and if we're sober enough to think it over, we know that's true. Uh, the other, those are abiding. And there is a deeper level of happiness that comes out of those. Uh, I mean, uh, not to go deep into it, but, but my story. And there was a, a period of my life where it looked very much like the first list. And for the last 30 years, I've been trying to choose spirit and letting that other list take hold of who I am. Uh, you want to guess which life is more satisfying? You can't put a price on things like love and joy and peace. Right? If, if only we knew, we would give everything for this. And Paul says you can have that, but not if you're trying to live in both. 
You've got to choose spirit over flesh. Right? The lie is that these things will make you happy. They appeal to our disordered desires. They're reinforced by society. And we have to remind ourselves, no, it's not where it is. Uh, okay, so one more example here. So this, this was years ago. I think it's when, uh, when my younger daughter was in second grade. Uh, we were at this festival, this carnival thing that they do every year at John Adams Elementary where our, our kids were raised. And one of the things they do, they have a DJ and it's just like mass, you know, crazy dance party. And no one dances more adorably than second graders because they're completely uninhibited. They have no concept yet that anybody's looking at them and they just go for it. It's the sea of cuteness. And I remember we're, we're just taking this in, eating carnival food, doing the thing, and, uh, and the song changes. The DJ puts on this other song, and I didn't recognize it right away, but it was clear that every single kid dancing in the grass knew the song. Everybody like stops, and they look around at each other. And then they start to kind of sway a little bit, and then, I kid you not, like, they bring their hands up and they start to twirl. Boys and girls alike, they're twirling, slowly, moving with the music. And then finally it gets to the chorus and I recognize it, it's, it's Let It Go from Frozen. This is with the, at the height of Frozen's power, right? And every kid is out there and they're, they're singing from the guts, they're busting this out. Everybody knows it. Every word to the song, they're all just totally going for it. And I had these two thoughts. One was, dang it, the song is going to be stuck in my head for a week again. And two, I had this thought, and you have to be as nerdy as I am to think a thought like this in the middle of this kind of moment, but my other thought was, this is terrifying. Listening to each of these kids sing this, and um, you know, that's, I wrote down a few of the lyrics from it, but it's, it's, I don't care what they are going to say. There's no right, there's no wrong, there's no rules for me. Right, it's the anthem of the age of authenticity. No one else can tell me. Whatever I discover right here, that's what I'm going to live from. And this is the way that our idols work. They get reinforced by society in such a way that we don't even hear it. We don't even realize that Disney is discipling our children one movie at a time while we're sitting back eating hot dogs with the rest of the parents. There's a choice, friends, that comes with freedom. Will we choose spirit or will we choose flesh? The idol says flesh is where true happiness will come from. It's following your authentic self. Jesus says, I've come to have abundant life. He says, follow my path and I will give you rest for your soul. Which will we believe? True freedom is not permission to do what we want, that's the flesh. It's power to be able to want what's good and to do what's good. Uh, finally, if we want the life that Jesus offers, how do we get there? How do we develop power within ourselves to be able to want the good and to do the good? And Paul concludes with this. He says, true freedom is gained as we die to the wrong things and we live to the right things. Verse 24, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Right? Now, we'll unpack this, but note here what Paul is not saying. He's not saying that you live this life through willpower. It's not a matter of white-knuckling it and just trying really, really hard to be good. That doesn't work. Now he's prescribing something different. True freedom is gained by knowing what to die to and knowing what to live to. He says here, again, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Right? So he takes us right back to the cross. And he says, if you are united with Christ, if you have entered into a saving relationship with him, then that old life has been crucified along with Jesus. And you have to live into that reality. You have to live into that. And this is where the fight is, right? Because usually we don't want to crucify the flesh. We want to coddle the flesh because we might need it later. Right? We don't want these things in us to actually die because, well, what happens if I'm in a jam? And what happens if I'm, you know, I'm emotional? What happens if we, we want to have these things as a backup that we can go to? And Paul says, no, 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 no. That is a strategy that does not work. You, you can't coddle the flesh. You've got to kill it. You've got to let it be crucified. You've got to take it out behind the barn and shoot it. That's what you do with the flesh. You don't keep it going. And we do this as we keep in step with the Spirit. And Paul puts this three different ways uh, throughout this passage. We've read, it's come up three times. He says, walk by the Spirit. He says, live by the Spirit. And he says, keep in step with the Spirit. They're all, all synonyms. But he's saying, as you walk in relationship with Jesus, something happens. Right? You've got to crucify the flesh to do this. Otherwise, it's very hard to keep in step. Right? Imagine yourself hiking up a steep trail, and next to you is a hiker who has nothing but a walking staff, and you are wearing a 100-pound backpack. The amount of effort it's going to take to keep in step with that other hiker, well, at some point you're going to fall off. You're going to fall behind. So you've got to be unencumbered. You've got to crucify the flesh, and then you keep in step with the Spirit. You walk close to Jesus. Uh, earlier in the passage, it said this. It says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I find that such a helpful way of putting this. It says, if you don't want to sin, don't try hard not to sin. That doesn't work. If you don't want to sin, walk close to Jesus, and you won't gratify those desires. It, it's kind of like this. We can... Um, Take an example from, from fitness land. There's, there's a hack that they use with people, a nutrition hack that's actually really, really useful. Uh, if, if you are wanting to, to eat better, be healthier, say, okay, one of the best things you can do is eat two to three servings of vegetables with every meal, right? And part of that is it means you're getting good nutrients, your body's getting the things that it needs, and that's awesome. But the other thing it does is you don't have a ton of room left for that bag of potato chip, chips that you want to crush if you've already had three servings of vegetables. It fills you up. There's something very satiating to that. And so it, it kind of works on two sides. It, it gives you the nutrients you need, and it keeps you from having space to fill up on junk. And Paul's saying something actually really similar here. Walk with the Spirit, and you won't gratify 
the desires of the flesh. If your mind and your heart are filled up with Jesus and his words on the regular, you'll find that you are satisfied. And you find that those things, those temptations that did have power over you, don't have as much as they did. Keep in step with the Spirit, he says. Walk by the Spirit. And there's two practices, and I want to end on these this morning. Think of this as, as your homework. For each of these, we're adding in some different spiritual disciplines, but there's two practices to help us do this that the church through the ages have, has identified as being especially helpful in, in helping us in this area, in living into true freedom and not being ensnared by false freedoms. The practices are the spiritual discipline of confession and of fasting. And uh, these are both really simple. I'll just say a couple words about them because there's, there's not a lot to say. In the discipline of confession, we make part of our daily practice in prayer, identifying those places where we are in sin and confessing those to God, asking for his forgiveness. That's it. It's simple. It's, it's in the Lord's Prayer, right? If we're praying the Lord's Prayer, this is part of what Jesus prescribes for us in prayer. Uh, is God, forgive me today the sins that I have committed. Uh, bonus points in this is if you also, get ready, if you also confess your sins to a trusted brother or sister. James 5 says there is freedom and healing when we do that. Uh, because sin thrives in the dark but it's starved in the light. So what happens when we do this, friends? When we are in the daily habit of confessing our sins to God, we become aware of our sins. We start to see them coming. And we're trained by Jesus as we walk with him uh, to see sin and avoid it as it comes, to choose the spirit and not the flesh. Uh, the second practice, fasting. Uh, man, here's one that's fallen out of fashion, yes? Uh, the idol of freedom says to us, if you want it, take it. If you have a need, if you have a desire, if your authentic self is calling for something, reach out and grab that thing. The spiritual discipline of fasting, of uh, going for a meal or going for a day or whatever the period of time might be without food, and combining that practice with prayer, it teaches us to say to our body, no, I don't think so. It teaches us to say to our appetites, you're not actually my master. I'm the master over you. Uh, and this is a, a discipline that Jesus practiced, that his disciples practiced. And friends, when you and I practice this, when we combine our praying with, with the occasional fast, uh, it creates a space where the Holy Spirit is able to develop a greater strength, a greater resistance, in us. And friends, that, that power to be able to want what is good and then wanting it to actually do it, uh, that is where true freedom lies. Let's pray and ask God to work that in us.